How you doing, Crossing Church? Man, I am, uh, my name is Tim, I'm from Houston, and I am in love with this church family. And uh, good reasons for that, which I'll be getting into today, but um, when Pastor Shane uh, asked me to preach, I immediately said yes, and I could not wait to get here, I could not wait to see you, be around you, and to be able to encourage you a little bit today. But first of all, let me do what we're supposed to do, welcome all, everyone in today from, um, you know, the online uh, folks who are watching, also the microsites, the windmill campus, the uh, southeast campus, glad you're in church today, and I hope that God does something wonderful in your heart today. Well, today we're going to continue our playlist series from the book of Psalms, and while most of the Psalms are considered songs, there's a group of Psalms beginning in chapter 120 all the way to chapter 134 that were actually road trip songs. They were songs that people sang while they were making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so I'm curious as we get going, how many of you like to take an occasional road trip? Anybody like to take an occasional road trip? Okay. For those people who raise their hand. The rest of you don't matter now. The, those of you who raise your hand, how many of you like every now and then, maybe not the whole time, but you like to turn up the music just a little bit on the trip sometimes? Okay, a few. All right, very good. Uh, the way that we receive our music has changed throughout the years. And I saw Pastor Lee kind of brush up against this a week or two ago, uh, but I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there today to find out how many older folks we have with us today in church um, before Bluetooth, before satellite radio, before MP3 players, let's go back. How many of you, your very first experience of hearing music in the vehicle was by way of a CD? A CD. Anybody raise your hand? CD, okay. Wow, you're so young. You're so young. I'm so impressed. Did you know that CDs are now considered an antiquated product that are being taken off the shelf because they won't be able to sell them anymore? Welcome to AARP, all of you who raise your hands. Just saying. Uh, the CD player, uh, there was a transitional step to where it hooked into your car with a CD adapter. How many of you remember this? This is a CD adapter. There we go. Okay. And, and, and then when you put it into your car, uh, it might look something like this. This is the whole configuration there. <laughs> How many had that going on? We were high tech, weren't we? Okay. Uh, before that was straight up cassette tape. How many of you, your first experience in the car with music was on a cassette tape? Okay, which was awesome because you could actually make a playlist then, right? And mine, mine included a lot of earth, wind, and fire. Do you remember? I could go on. Ow. Um, before the cassette tape was the 8-track tape. How many of you want to admit it that when you, okay, wow, we got some old folks here today. That's good, that's good. Uh, let's go back a little bit further to where all you had to listen to, okay, there was one other choice, but we'll get to that in a second, was FM radio. FM radio was where you first got your music in the car. I'm raising my hand now on this one. Okay, back a little bit further. How many of you was AM radio? Very Wow, God bless you. Gray hair is the crown of wisdom. That's what the Bible says. Very good. You've seen 13 or 14 presidents and a lot more. I'm glad you're in church today. Um, now, I probably covered everyone, but just in case, I have not. Maybe for you, your first music on a trip experience looks something like this. Um, 
<laughs> Maybe that's not far off. Um, but road trip songs are not new. People have been enjoying music on trips for a long, long time, for thousands of years, as a matter of fact. In the psalm that we're going to look at today, people literally sang it as they were traveling to Jerusalem. These psalms begin in chapter 120, and perhaps you've never noticed this, but this is a picture straight out of my Bible. In Psalm chapter 120, it says underneath the, the subtitle is a song of ascents. It says the same thing in every psalm up through Psalm 134, so 15 psalms in a row. And the reason that they were called songs of ascents is because people would literally sing them as they were ascending to Jerusalem. Several times a year, people would go to the feast in Jerusalem, and they would travel in groups back in the day, and so they would sing songs together, and these 15 songs were on the playlist. Why are they called songs of ascents? Because Jerusalem is up, so you had to go up, you had to ascend to get there. Here's a cutaway version of the topography of that part of the world. You can see... Uh, the Dead Sea level, 1,300 feet below sea level. Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. Jerusalem's 2,500 feet up. So if you went from uh, uh, Jericho up to Jerusalem, you would literally be ascending. And in about 20 miles, you would be ascending 3,300 feet up. And three times or more a year, people from the surrounding areas would go to Jerusalem for a feast or for a ceremony, and they would sing these songs as they ascended to Jerusalem. Now, I need you to remember that. Because that's going to be key in this uh, lesson today. When you know the history of this psalm, it makes what we're going to talk about a little bit easier to understand. And when Shane texted me and said, will you come and preach and preach out of psalms and uh, pick your own psalms, I said, I'll do it. I already know what psalm I'm going to talk about, Psalm chapter 120. It's only seven verses long, so I'm going to read the whole thing real quick here, okay? It says, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom brush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedor. Too long I have lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they want war. Welcome to church today. Isn't that a beautiful <laughs> It's not exactly a pick-me-up kind of a psalm. And if you didn't know the history, you would think that this is an odd song for a guy to come from Houston to Vegas to talk about. It begins with, I'm in distress. It ends with war in between, or deceit and, and punishment. But when you know the context about when this song was sung, then the song actually makes sense. Um, this is a song for people who were ascending to Jerusalem. And so, in a roundabout way, they could be saying something like this. I'm not at home where I live. There's conflict. Uh, people want to make my life difficult. It's not easy being in my neighborhood. But that's okay because I am ascending. I'm going up in my life. I'm going to Jerusalem. Or I'm not okay with how things are around me. I don't like the situation in which I find myself. But that's okay because I'm going up. I'm ascending in my life. I'm going to Jerusalem. Everyone around me wants to fight. But I want to rise above it. Because where I am is not my final destination. I'm headed to the city of peace, the city on a hill. And so in my life, I've made the decision to go up. 
to a sin. Now, the parallel for us today is that uh, we're on a trip through this life. You and I, everybody, everybody, every single person, we're on a, we're on a trip through this life. And, 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 and let me say something that you need to hear up front today. We don't belong here. We don't belong here. Now, there are some awesome places to live, especially in the United States. And we drove around your area a little bit yesterday. It's a beautiful place. You live in a beautiful part of the world. But ultimately, we don't belong here. This world is not our home. We are citizens of heaven, which means in our lives, we are ascending. And here's the deal. Once upon a time, Jesus left this earth and he said, I'm leaving and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when the time comes, I'll come back to get you, to take you, to be with me so that you may also be where I am. So he said, I'm going to prepare a place. And this is what's awesome. Simultaneously, while God is preparing a better place for me, he's preparing a better me for that place. And he can use the difficulties that we go through in this life to get us ready for that time when he calls us home. So let's dig in. If you're taking notes, first thing I want you to see out of this uh, psalm is this. Uh, God is with us on this journey. God is with us on the journey. When uh, things get hard, oftentimes sort of the knee-jerk reaction, the tendency that we have is to feel like God isn't around or maybe he's not paying attention. That's especially true when tragedy strikes. And I know you guys... uh, you know, the, the mass shooting a year ago, uh, we had a, a school shooting two months ago uh, right near one of our campuses. Uh, and, and the thing that always happens when those things happen around us is people will say, where is God? Where is God? But it's important for us to remember, God is not just at the end of our journey when we get to heaven. God is with us every day of the journey as well. And he never promised us that things would be easy here. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Trouble is part of the journey here on this earth. Verse 1, the psalmist says this, I call on the Lord in my distress. So he's in distress, and in his distress, he calls out to God. Even though he doesn't like where he is, he still knows that God is there with him, listening to his prayers. I believe all of us have those moments or seasons in our lives where we don't like the way that things are going. We don't like the situation in which we find ourselves. Speaking of, and you kind of already have a hint of this from the video that was shown, but 11 months ago right now in my part of the world, we found ourselves in a place where we didn't want to be. And uh, I'm talking about when Hurricane Harvey slammed into Houston. The flooding was like any, any, unlike anything we'd ever experienced before. Harvey wasn't that strong of a wind event. We've had worse hurricanes, actually, but it was a rain event. <clears throat> the eye of the storm was southwest of us, which meant that we were on the northeast side of the storm, and that's the dirty side of the storm. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say dirty side of the storm? So that's the rainy side of the storm. And uh, the rain just kept coming and kept coming. When the storm finally crossed over onto land, it ran into a front that had parked just north of Houston. So there's a high-pressure system just north of Houston. So the, the storm came, slammed into our area, drenched us, and stopped. 
and just kept pulling water from the Gulf of Mexico. And then it moved offshore, regained strength, and came at us again. So for four days in a row, we had torrential downpours. Uh, entire neighborhoods that weren't in the 100-year floodplain found themselves underwater. This next shot is a shot of I-10. It looks like it's the Gulf of Mexico. That's 20 miles inland on I-10. Um, Houston has a lot of highways, a lot of interstates. There was a day when not one interstate, one highway was open in the entire area because everything was underwater. Um, Jane and I live in Brazoria County, which is just south of Harris County, which is where Houston is. We're about maybe one mile south of the Houston city limits. But Houston, Houston proper is in Harris County. And not counting the surrounding counties around Harris County, it is estimated that during that four-day span, a trillion gallons of rain fell on Harris County, Saturday through Tuesday. Um, if you don't know how much water that is, it's a lot. <laughs> they say it's as much water that flows over that, the Niagara Falls in 15 days. Fell on Harris County in four days. Uh, it's enough water to cover the entire state of Nevada in over a foot of water. And we got it in four days. Actually, Houston got it in four days. Where I lived, we got even more. Near our Friendswood campus, uh, we got hit by 50 inches of rain in four days. My town, uh, 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 Pearland, we had 48 inches or so. But it was the rate at which the rain was falling that was absolutely terrifying. Um, there was a quote, uh, a tweet by CNN, and I saw this in the middle of the storm. It was so encouraging. My town got 9.92 inches of rain, so basically 10 inches of rain in a 90-minute stretch. 10 inches of rain in a 90-minute stretch, and it just kept coming. It was like a nightmare in slow motion from which you could not wake. And it was traumatic. And I don't mind using that word traumatic. We were stuck in our house for days, uh, high water on every street, couldn't get out of my driveway, um, and, and, and it just kept coming. Um, I stayed up for two nights watching TV, uh, trying to, to, to make the rain move, you know, and praying that it would move and watching the radar, and it was so discouraging. We have a, a patio on the back of our house that's covered with corrugated metal. And uh, it was so loud. The rain beating on that corrugated metal was so loud. And then every now and then, middle of the night, it would start to let up a little bit like a normal rainstorm. And I would praise God. And I would say, thank you, God. Thank you. It's moving on. Thank you. And then it would come down hard again for hours on end. Um, my son and his new wife, they live in a neighborhood to the south of us. The, he, he kept you know, calling me on the phone, telling me what was happening in his neighborhood, which is also where my mom and dad live. And he said, Dad, he calls me up, Dad, the rain, the, the water came up six inches in the past 30 minutes. It never came into his house, thank you, God. But it came up six inches in the last 30 minutes. And I, I was on the phone with him constantly, but I would say things like this. I'd end the phone calls with, it's going to be okay, son, everything's going to be all right. Just hang in there, say your prayers, God's going to take care of us. And then I'd hang up the phone and say, God, are you going to take care of us? 
You ever done that? You got a lot of faith when you're talking to somebody else? <laughs> then I talked to my mom and dad, and one night my dad called me up, and he is, uh, they are 78 years old, or were 78 years old last summer, and uh, he said, we're going to bed, water's coming up, not in the house yet, but we're going to go ahead and go to bed, but we're going to bed, 78 years old, we're going to go to bed, uh, and they're trapped in their subdivision, we're going to go to bed with our clothes on and our shoes on in case we have to evacuate. And so I say, oh, no, no, you'll be okay. You're going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. This is the most of it right here that we're seeing. From now on, it's going to get better. And I'd get off the phone and say, God, please, are you going to do this? So when I say it was traumatic, I mean either you flooded or you thought you were going to flood or somebody you knew and loved flooded or you thought they might flood. It's kind of like having a little bit of, I don't know, I don't want to misuse this PTSD because now even when it rains, I start getting worried about things. Then I come to Vegas and it rained yesterday. Uh, <laughs> but I will admit to you today in church before God that as the flood waters rose, I could feel my faith draining out of me. And, and I know what the psalmist was feeling in verse 5 when he said, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the, tickets, the, the, the tents of Kedar. I was thinking, woe to me that I live in Houston. Woe to me that I live close to the Gulf of Mexico. I don't want to be here anymore. But looking back, I can tell you something that wasn't evident to me at the time, and that was that God was with us in the storm. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it at the time, but looking back, I can see it. Did you know once upon a time, Jesus invited the disciples to get into a boat, and they went out into the Sea of Galilee, and there was a storm. Jesus invited them into a boat knowing that there was a storm that they were going to run into. And they freak out, and they say, don't you care? We're about to drown. And, and the whole thing about that story, the, the part of the story that amazes me is that he knew he was taking them into a storm. But he invited them to go there anyway. And once again, Jesus never promised us this, this life would be easy, but he did promise that he would go with us no matter what. And some of, you are, some of you are in a storm right now. And you're wondering, does Jesus care? Is he there? Yes, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always with you. And, and I've gotten to the point where I can say this. I've had a lot of sunny days in my life. And I've had some stormy days, but I'd rather be in a storm with Jesus than on a beach on a sunny day without him. Amen? Let me show you something else from the text here. Not only is God with us in the journey, but secondly, God always hears our prayers. He always hears our prayers. In our storm, uh, I was starting to wonder if, God was listening to our prayers, but days after the unrelenting rain uh, finally started to, to kind of taper off, the storm was moving north now. A couple days later, the water had receded enough from the roads and the streets that we could finally get out of our subdivision, and so we went and took a drive, and it was uh, as bad as we had imagined. And I kept thinking, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't like where I am, uh, but we did what the psalmist did in verse 1. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. So we kept calling on the Lord. 
By Thursday, you can make it down the middle of many roads with high water along the sides. And so we contacted our staff and said, if you can make it, come to the 288 campus. We're going to get a plan together. So about 50 of our staff members met together at the 288 campus, which is our largest campus. And we had no power at the time, but we met in the, in the doorway and we came up with a plan. And when the power came back on, we sent an email out to our entire church family and said, if you flood it, respond to this email with, yes, we flooded. Within a few minutes, maybe five minutes, we got 120 emails back that said, yes, we flooded. So our staff mapped out where the homes were, and we began uh, to go out and to clean up those homes. We invited our church family to go help us, and hundreds and hundreds of people showed up to help clean out those homes, oftentimes driving beyond National Guard checkpoints to get to those homes. I stood up in a packed church the next weekend, and I said, we're going to help as many people as we can help with as much as we can help them for as long as we can help them, and then we're going to do some more because I want people to be able to say in the future when they look back on this time that they know that God is real because they went through the storm and got out on the other side. I spoke that in faith, not knowing how we as a church were going to be involved in that process, but God heard our prayers. And over the next few days, we had 1,300 people who volunteered to do the exhausting work of cleaning out people's homes. And we worked and worked until the homes got too muddy or moldy that we couldn't go in anymore because it was dangerous. But the most amazing thing happened on that next Wednesday night. We have a Wednesday night service, which is the last service of our weekend because we don't have enough room. And so we have a Wednesday night service to fit the people in that couldn't fit in on the weekend. And so we're having the last service of the weekend, and I'm about ready to preach, and someone comes and says, hey, there's some guys from Vegas here. I said, what? Because you couldn't get in and out of Houston, really. They said, there's some guys from Vegas here. And I said, well, I want to meet them. And so I went down and met these guys, and uh, I said, this is so cool that you're here. What are you doing? We're just helping people out. We're doing whatever we can do. And I said, well, I have a friend in Vegas. His name is Pastor Shane. He preaches at the crossing. And they said, that's our pastor and that's our church. <laughs> and I said, you guys are crazy. <laughs> Which means by extension, you are all crazy as well. Uh, but I was amazed by that. And it wasn't long after that that we received a check, a large check from this church for tens of thousands of dollars to help with the recovery effort. And then another group from the crossing came. And then another group from the crossing came. And it all happened right when we were running out of gas. And that's why I couldn't wait to stand up here today and say thank you. <laughs> try, try this on for size. We called out to the Lord, and the crossing showed up. <laughs> That's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, since then, we've helped hundreds and hundreds of families to uh, gut out their homes, to put in new drywall and rebuild and put in new flooring and cabinets and purchase appliances and furniture and doing all that we could do to help them. Not long ago, we finally shut down our warehouse, which we had, through which we had handed out 
furniture to hundreds of families, compliments of someone in Vegas who was following your church on social media and saw the pictures of your church helping our church and contacted your church and then contacted our church so that they could give free furniture to the people in our area. That's crazy. As of last week, we've spent just under a million dollars on helping people and helping with their homes and furniture and so forth, just under a million dollars. I'm just telling you, that would have hurt our church if it wasn't for people like you who listen to the still small voice of God and stepped up big time. A while back, the uh, Texas governor's office <clears throat> sent some representatives to our warehouse led by uh, Jeb Bush, uh, pardon me, George P. Bush, son of Jeb. And they stopped by the warehouse to talk with the staff about what we've done through the recovery effort. And it's kind of hilarious because we have an insider in the governor's area who said that what's really happening is that they're trying to figure out if the response from government was adequate or if churches outpaced the government. And I, I already know the answer to that question. Churches kicked government's butt. Um, and you can, you can Google this article. It's out there in USA Today and other places. The title, churches, Church Response Outpaces FEMA as it should. And because of that, they awarded us with a certificate. You can see it here. State of Texas, blah, blah, blah. Tim Liston. Okay. I recognize for the contributions to the response and recovery efforts. But here's an updated version that I brought with me today. Go ahead and show it. There you go. This is now your suitable for framing, um, but, and I think uh, highly appropriate. So when I tell you all this, I'm not bragging. I'm not trying to give you the big head. I'm not crying on your shoulder. I just wanted to say face to face with you guys, thank you. Thank you for helping us out. Thank you. Now, even though we're not back to where we were before the flood, and I am not joking when I say that. It would have been so much worse, and, and so God bless you guys. And then number three, and then I need to quit. Uh, one more thing I need to tell you is this. God wants you to keep on keeping on. God wants you to keep on keeping on. I say that because I know how this works. There's somebody in church today who feels like the psalmist, and you kind of just want to yell, I don't like where I am in my life right now. I don't like the way things are going. I don't like... The situation in which I find myself, maybe, maybe for you, you would say, I'm single and I don't want to be single. I long for a godly relationship. Or I'm struggling with my family. Or, or my work is going kind of rough right now. Or I've had some health issues and I'm just growing weary with dealing with it. I know this, that somebody in church today is going through a storm and you don't like where you are. So what do you do? Here's what you do. You keep on walking. Keep on taking steps of faith. You keep on ascending. God is not done with you yet. And you may not like where you are right now, but God is going to be able to use the lessons that you're learning to do something great in your life in the future. In fact, your test that you're going through right now 
can be a testimony down the line for someone else who's going through something similar. But just like the people did so long ago when they sang these songs together as they were ascending, as they were ascending, we don't like where we are, but we're ascending in our lives. Keep on ascending. Keep on walking. Why don't you stand with me, please? Let me pray for you, and then I'll let you go, okay? And uh, thanks for having me, and thanks for, thanks for listening. God in heaven, I thank you that even in the difficult times that there are lessons to be learned, things to be done for your glory. I thank you for this church family and for the fact that they represent your son so well. And in his humility and the fact that he gave up his life for all of us on the cross, that this church would be willing to give up themselves to do what it is that you've called them to do, Lord. And not, I'm not used to being on the receiving end of that from other churches. We're used to sending people and sending money. But, Lord, I thank you for this church that stepped up when, when it was time and didn't hold back. So, Lord, bless them. Increase them, Lord. And uh, I pray that their generosity is rewarded in huge ways so that others can know Christ as well. Uh, I pray that all of us would keep on ascending. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Love you, Crossing. See you next time.